Technically, one step closer with Stacy Harris and John Sumter. And Stacy, you're you're in my neighborhood. I am in your neighborhood. I'm here in the Bay Area. I was at the Smart Recruiter Conference and visiting a client here uh, in this area. So I am enjoying your balmy mid-spring, I guess, weather here in this area. So uh, thank you for no rain. It was nice to get away from the rain, and and it's not quite as cold as home right now. So I appreciate it. How about you? You're home right now too, as well, John, right? I I am home right now too. Yeah, dying to know. Tell me about the um, uh, Smart Recruiter show. Oh well, that was really good. You know, I hadn't been to a Smart Recruiter conference before. I was surprised by how big it was. About twelve hundred um, uh, people plus, you know, some vendor supporters and everything there at the the conference. Um, I first time I'd had an opportunity. I mean, I've met Jerome and, and the team a bit before, but um, you know, it was. It was nice to sort of hear them walk through their strategy for, for what they're doing with smart recruiters. I can remember, boy, I mean, you probably remember too, like the early days when I had, and I think it was Maxine, who was someone we had known from the industry, had briefed me on the idea of the smart recruiter organization where they were going to pull together a, you know, a bunch of different vendors in the recruiting space and basically provide almost like a free version of an ATS at that point in time, right, to connect all of it. They've now sort of turned into a full-blown, full-out, you know, recruiting and uh, marketing uh, technology for recruiting purposes. Um, and I was, I was impressed, you know, because um, they, they've really improved both, I think, the, the vision of the product, which is, which is ensuring that, you know, it, it, it in, makes the recruiting process almost seamless, um, but also provides enough um, configuration capabilities for doing uh, different regions and different localities. They have 34 languages that the, that the tool is translated into. Um, over 4,000 buyers, not all of them are implemented. I'm not sure how many of them fall in the sort of paid, uh, non-paid side of that, but um, uh, over uh, 200 features were shipped last week. Um, so I, I, it, was a, it was a pretty good event. They talked, one of the big things they talked about that's upcoming is that they're gonna be looking at adding onboarding, which puts them in a lot more of the wheelhouse that we track because, and we true track recruiting technologies, but when we look at talent management solutions, you have to have at least two sort of application areas from a particular vendor in the series leader survey. And so that's um, not many organizations are able to get someone to buy two module areas when they're focused on recruiting. So if they can get onboarding to grow rapidly, that would, that would put them in a much bigger, broader space. So, so yeah, good stuff. I mean, do you have much experience working with the the smart recruiter team? <clears throat> well, I've I've been in and around smart recruiters from the beginning. I, I remember when they were a, a scrappy little group of ten or twelve in a kind of a warehousey industrial space in a building that was about to be condemned. Um, <laughs> uh, Vision of all know, startups. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's good. It's a, it was a great startup. Jerome is um, is a pretty interesting entrepreneur who's already had a hit. Uh, he he. Um, um, oh God, what was the name? It was like Mr. Ted, uh, a, a European 
adapted tracking system that he sold to Stepstone yeah. and that ultimately became Lumess, um, yeah. which I think I think I read somewhere that somebody bought the dead carcass of all of that in the last couple of years. Um, the the group was spunky. The idea that they would be cut, that they would go from being a free tool to a um, an enterprise tool. I imagine that's still fairly ambitious. Um, um, it's 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 one thing to get a bunch of recruiters in Silicon Valley, um, and another thing to get a tool that that is good for recruiting anywhere in the world. And I, th- I think they're pretty uh, sort of Silicon Valley centric. No doubt that the technology um, buyers are are probably it sounds like some of their biggest groups. They did say they added 250 new logos this year. So, so I think, and 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 uh, of their 4,000 buyers, they said over a thousand of them um, are over. Or, sorry, over 80 percent of them are over a thousand employees, which depends on how you look at at small, medium, and large. But that's that's a good number to sort of gauge some of that in. The other thing yep. that they spent a lot of time talking about, which I thought was sort of interesting, was um, measuring HR and recruiting success. You know, I go to a lot of these recruiting events and, and they and they definitely talk about metrics like, you know, speed to hire and, you know, in, improving the strategic focus of of the recruiting role. Um, but this, you know, they had a they, they rolled out a whole book and they had a whole framework they rolled out for measuring the recruiting process, not from the just was the recruiting process more efficient, but was it successful? They included a new thing they're calling a net hiring score. I'm sure you've seen things like this that included a 90-day post-hiring survey. Also, percent of jobs filled on time versus just speed to hire or time to hire, um, which focuses on, you know, when you needed it filled. And then the percent of the hiring costs um, that uh, they were calling that the hiring velocity, sorry, the other one. And then the new percent of hiring costs, they were, they were talking about percent of new hire compensation spent on recruiting um, those specific employees. So, Throwing out calculations and metrics, again, I, I don't spend as much time in the recruiting space, I think, as many others, including yourself. So I don't know how new that is or not. But it was a good conversation to have in that room. Well, I'll tell you, the, the idea that recruiting quality needs to be measured, that's great. The idea that um, what you can find out at 90 days is important may not be so great. Right? The, the The statistic is that that 50% of hiring decisions are understood as regrettable by month 18. And, you know, the, the idea that the, it, it's one of the things that separates recruiting from the rest of HR is, is recruiters think they've done their job in about 90 days. And the organization has to live with the results of their work for as long as the person stays there. <laughs> so, so, a 90-day score, while interesting, probably doesn't really tell you the truth about the effectiveness of the hiring team. Well, and, and I think that was a, a lot of the conversation this week. Right? How do you assess quality, right? And and I've heard this in multiple events. Um, it's a tough, you know, you have to start somewhere, I think, is, is one of the, you know, things that, that we've been talking about, even in other metric areas of the HR function. Um, 
if we don't measure anything, we'll never measure, measure like, what is it? If you don't measure, measure something, you'll never me- measure anything, right? That kind of a conversation. You know what? Um, well, I, I, hear, I hear you, but the, the other side of that is once you start measuring things, it's quite difficult to improve the measurement because, you know, so, so I tell you I'm going to measure your quality, and here's the score, and you start working to that. And then I come along six months later and say, oops, we've moved the line. Now here's the number, right? <laughs> that, that, sure. yeah. that doesn't okay. work. And so the idea that you have to start measuring somewhere is uh, how you excuse sloppy work, as far as I'm concerned. Um, <laughs> because because uh, I'm, not, if you, I'm not exactly sure about that, because measurement is a bit of art as well as science, right? So I think you have to have to give some sense of understanding where you have to figure out where that starting line is. But I get what you're saying, though. I do understand that that if two holding those measurements too close to the vest can cause a lot of problems, as people know so, from so, performance so, management process. So let's let's make it a little bit more tangible. So let's say you've got a tool that will tell you whether or not the tires you bought are good. If the tires have a 100,000-mile warranty on them, and you measure the tires at 10,000 miles, and you say, oh, they're good. Well, that doesn't really tell you anything if the average failure rate of the tire is around 50,000 miles. Um, and it gives you a false sense of security uh, if you're measuring something um, um, imprecisely or superficially and deciding that everything's okay because you've done that. And so, so I, I, it, with something as important as the quality of the people that you're adding to the organization, a shallow measure is worse than no measure at all, as far as I'm concerned. Okay. Now, now you, the whole recruiting function is oriented around speed, and yes. um, you, you, you know the 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 clear truth about speed is you got speed, you got you got speed, you got cost, and you got quality, and and any good project manager knows you can have two of those three. You can't have all three. Um, and so when you focus on speed, uh, you're throwing either cost or quality into the toilet. Um, yeah. um, and, and, and so that's the entire recruiting profession is focused on the wrong metrics and responsible for the quality problems in in the organization, and and they have a hard time owning that. I, I, I agree. I'll, 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 I'll agree with you on that one. And, and I do, you know, but I do think there's a, you know, your analogy of the tire and the, and the metrics as to when, I, I think there's, there are steps along the way where you need to identify when things could be in jeopardy, right? And waiting to 18 months to figure out the quality, I don't think that would actually, I mean, really, where that may be where you know for sure that things are going downhill, there's a lot of other places where things could be coming to a head. Um, and so I think the quality of higher conversation is, is much more of a over time process versus a single point, right? Um, as well, well. And so, and so, and so, and so, so you're agreeing with me then. I like that. that, that that's very good for you to be agreeable <laughs> this morning. <laughs> because because I, I said, yeah, 90 days is not right. And now you're saying, yeah, you got to measure this over time, which is exactly right. Which means you got to start at 90 days to get your baseline, right? 
Or you've got to start so measuring over you got to start yeah. measuring over time and see where the right yeah. point to measure is. Exactly. It's, yeah. unli- <laughs> it's unlikely that 90 days is the right number. Okay. Well, well enough of that. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely a good week for me and you to be arguing, right? We've been, we've been in good conversation. But so, so, going on. So, Natalia Borisnikova yeah. gave a, a, a view of their roadmap. What was on their roadmap? You know, I, I went to a class with Natalia several years ago. She's an amazing uh, player. Um, she had uh, mentioned that, yes, when we were talking. And, and I, I, I had to put her down because, you know, we see so few, I mean, we do see a lot of females in the HR tech space, right? A lot on the product marketing side, a lot on the, um, you know, in the services delivery side, not as many as I would like to see in the development side. Um, and, and I was blown away, not only by sort of how she understood her product and the vision, um, but also how um, interested she was in sort of making sure that product, you know, was, um, connected to sort of uh, a bigger picture around data and the the flow of the technology. Um, so it wasn't a feature function conversation that it, she gave us. She gave us sort of how the things were all interconnected, um, which I don't often get. Oftentimes we get this feature, this feature, this feature, right? So, the, so she was definitely yeah. Uh, impressive. Yeah. Um, her boss was I'm just I'm just looking for this. Rebecca Carr um, was her boss for many years. Rebecca Carr is another um, powerful woman in the industry who often goes unrecognized. Yeah, uh, Rebecca was there, but I think they've also put a new CTO now who uh, Natalia is reporting to, and she's another female. I did know her as well. She came from somewhere else in the industry. Um, so they did announce someone else. And I apologize, I don't have her name in front of me. But um, yeah, I, I was impressed. I will have to say with with um, the number of women at senior leadership levels there in that organization. Which again, you you know you do see more women in this HR tech space than not in some cases. You know in other uh, technology environments, but usually it's on other sides of the house. Get, seeing them in development, seeing them in spaces where it's real strategic. Uh, Rebecca Hart was there as well. So, cool. So, what else have we got here? A um, couple of couple of personnel things. Walkme gets a new CFO because they're headed towards an IPO, and I didn't remember them when we talked about them before the show. So, tell me a little bit about Walkme. So, Walkme is an organization I ran into them four, maybe more, six years ago now. Um, at the time, they were a small organization that. I, was developing a tool that basically sat on top of all of your applications and provided sort of a, a pretty quick, you know, I'm struggling now. I need a walkthrough of the environment. It's, it's basically they call themselves an adoption tool, but if anybody remembers the old on-premise implementation days, there was a lot of tools that were being designed to do simulated work environments to try and give you a, like a video view of, um, you know, how you would walk through the applications. Well, WalkMe took that, I think, to a whole new level. There's a couple others in the market that are um, uh, doing the similar things, right? Um, but I think WalkMe's gotten the most attention because they've spent an enormous amount of time focusing not on just um, the, the walking through of a product um, and base it on top of things like Workday and, you know, Ultimate and, and, and Success Factors, right? 
Um, but they also provided sort of a connection to like watching in some sense how people were doing it and noting it when they were doing something wrong in a certain place. So it really was sort of a more thoughtful approach, I think. It, it did take some monitoring of the work environment, but it did help um, from a learning perspective for people who were, you know, if you go into a system once a year and have to do something that's business critical, this kind of tool is invaluable in that kind of an effort, along with notes and communications around where and how things have changed. Um, and so they've really expanded what they offer and uh, been in, connected to a lot of uh, probably more than 50 or 60% of the industry products that are enterprise-wide in our environment here now. Um, and they're getting ready to go out for IPO, it sounds like, and they've hired a new um, CFO, Andrew Casey. Um, and Andrew is coming from ServiceNow. Currently, it looks like he's going to be joining WalkMe in March, but he's uh, currently the ServiceNow sales and service um, head. And so sounds like they're, they're getting ready to expand and uh, do a lot more in this space and, and bringing industry experts in to do it. So, yeah. Okay, and then and then Vizier picked up a hot shot sales officer. Um, yeah. So is Vizier putting pedal to the metal and trying to do new things? I think they are. They've got a new um, analyst relations person that just reached out to us. Um, a really nice um, uh, professional who's been in the market in other spaces. So I think they're starting to try and figure out how they move from sort of the 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 small tool technology that's primarily focused on just the biggest enterprises and analytics. Um, I mean, SAS is one of the that which is where they got the uh, chief sales officer from is one of the m most well known analytics tools in the research space that you can find um, from a company that's actually out in the area where I'm at um, in the Raleigh Durham. So yeah, I think this is this is showing that they're they're ready to take a step maybe into being more than just a tool for just the top 100 organizations that they're trying to become a much bigger, maybe more mid-market solution over time. I wonder if this suggests that they're looking to be something more than people analytics because, the, you know, our, our marketplace is really unique and what it takes to be good at sales in HR tech is not the same as what it takes to be good at sales in other technical industries. And mm -hmm. so, so the idea that somebody who's good at sales for analytics in general might be good at sales in HR analytics, I think that's, that's pretty hypothetical. I've seen a lot of failure when people try to bring hotshots in from outside. Um, um, just because the learning curve is so steep and the demographics of the buyer are so different. Um, so, so, so it sounds like when you replace the sales officer, you replace the sales officer because there's some sort of hiccup in the sales process and you want to try to go in a new direction. So it sounds like something, something big is changing at this year. Well, they, they have a quote here, you know, that, you know, as we scale into mainstream of, anal of the analytics market, we look forward to benefiting from Nick's leadership. So there might be a, a grain of what you're talking about, that maybe they're looking to be, go beyond the HR space. Um, and this would be definitely a good, I mean, at that point, you're going to need a different type of expertise. Well, you know, you know now a, a, a people analytics tool that uses people analytics as the foundation for understanding other 
more conventional aspects of the organization like operations or finance, um, that's actually kind of an awesome idea. Um, uh, and so, so if you're listening, Vizier, I'd love to hear about that. Um, I think that's worth a conversation, definitely, to see if they're going to be expanding into other areas. So. Yeah. And then Ceridian is going to hire 2,000 Canadians in the next year. I think it's time to move to Canada. <laughs> I've been thinking that anyhow. Oh. Yes. <laughs> it's really sad. I had a conversation at dinner last night that had a similar thread to it. So. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to get an influx of HR technology professionals. <laughs> Um, yeah, two thousand positions in Canada—that's a lot, though, isn't it? And one and, and within the next five years, so, so they're giving themselves some time to do this. But do organizations usually make announcements like this? Is this normal, John? I, I'm trying to remember. No, like... no, but I but I'm sensing a you you know, Ceridian was a very focused startup style organization um, with. Uh, the challenge of merging Dayforce technology with the old service bureau stuff. And they got that right. They went public. And as soon as they went public, they got real stiff about how they were talking about things. And my guess is that they lost visibility in the marketplace. Um, and they're, they're on a new charm offensive in general. And so, so you'd guess that there's been a, a reorientation of how marketing works. And they are busy now talking about all the good news because their stock is doing very well. <laughs> so, so I think you should expect to see more stuff like this from from Ceridian. Well, and and that is the next the next piece that we got an announcement almost back to back was um, the relationship between between Ceridian and Isom. So Isom's is announcing that they have an integration partnership with Ceridian, which. In and of itself, you know, we see a lot of integration partnerships, but I think this one's a little bit interesting because, you know, iTunes is really, from a sheer numbers perspective and, and enterprise perspective, the number one point solution in the recruiting space, at least in the enterprise level, I would say, right? Um, from a well-known and branding, um, for them to create a partnership, Ceridian really emphasizes, one, I think how much uh, iSIMS is trying to, to connect with broader audiences, but also how much Ceridian is trying to sort of expand their base as well. Well, it's interesting because because Ceridian has a recruiting product. Um, and so so it's not clear to me from the announcement whether this is this is two people saying that this is a thing or if this is an iSIMS announcement. Um, and um, it's it's another indicator of how important the partnership ecosystem is becoming everywhere and how important it is to have clear, measured, repeatable onboarding in the partnership ecosystem. Yeah. yeah it was a big conversation this week with the smart recruiter that they have like 600 organizations in their, in their marketplace that they have. You know, one of the questions that came up is how often are those partners updated, assessed for their sort of um, feasibility and their connections and their links. And, and I think that's a real valid conversation. A lot of these marketplaces and a lot of these partnerships, there's announcements, there's, you know, oh, we have them and we have a logo on our website. But that idea of how closely connected they are, how well they're being curated, I think is another, 
it's a quality conversation as well sometimes, right? Well, I, you, you know, I think there's a range, right? There's a, there's a complete range here. Ultimate Software has this amazing ecosystem where uh, anybody who is in the ecosystem is in a reciprocal relationship with Ultimate, and they don't let just anybody in. And then at the other extreme, there are companies that have um, kind of open APIs and anybody anybody can integrate with them because the API is there and you can claim integration once you can exchange data. Um, and, uh, you know, so, so it seems to me that, that a written contract, revenue guarantees, maintenance of the agreement, there's, there's a whole bunch of factors that you've got to have in place for the um, um, ecosystem to actually flourish. And one of the things you and I ought to talk about a little bit is how to build a map of the uh, quality of ecosystems and what it takes to make them work. Um, because because partnerships, partnerships range from a press release to uh, uh, something that looks like Siamese twins. That is very, very good point. Yes, and and it is the one of the number one um, complaints in in the Syracuse survey is integration and partnerships. Is you, know, it's a struggle for organizations, not a doubt. Well, we also have a little bit of news out of Europe this week. I, I don't know that, that a lot of people uh, here in the states um, probably know of, of SD Works, but SD Works is one of the larger European payroll and HR providers, um, and they uh, announced this week that it's acquiring PointLogic HR, which is a Netherlands-based major supplier of innovative reward management solutions and um, consulting services. You know, I just thought it was interesting worth maybe mentioning them because we haven't talked a lot about the European market, right? Um, and for a while, though, they were really hot. Lots of stuff was going on. This is, And we're still seeing a lot of, I think, investment in job boards in that space and a lot of investment in sort of gig economy working, which is a new thing over there. But we are also starting to see some consolidation because uh, there's so many point solutions on a country-by-country, region-by-region basis out there. Um, do you think it's a, it's a space that's, that, that we should be watching a little bit more, John? Is, or, is, or, you know, is this a space that's just going to follow what's happening in the U.S. over time? I, I I don't have any idea. It's it's a really good question, and I and I just don't know. Uh, but but there is, right? The flood of investment money has created clutter in the marketplace. Uh, but clutter in the marketplace means that um, people are getting better quality work out of their vendors, and the vendors are starting to be in nichier spots. So the question is. Can all of these vendors figure out how to hold on to a niche and make money? Um, and if they can figure out how to hold on to a niche and make money, yippee. And if not, they'll become part of something bigger, which leads me to the last piece, which is Workforce Logic, who bought engaged talent um, in the fall, has started to release an annual benchmark report on workforce management. And this thing is amazing. You should, workforce Logic is the Workforce L-O-G-I-Q, and uh, they use data science and external information to predict retention by industry, total retention by industry, um, um, the likelihood that people are going to leave on a month-to-month basis by industry, 
um, the kinds of jobs where people are most likely to respond to a um, offer of a new job. And it turns out that recruiting is the most likely job to respond to an offer. Uh, and then the last thing, which I really like, is they have a ranking by city of um, places where people are most likely to respond positively to a job offer. Um, and this parallels something that I saw yesterday, which is the cities people are most interested in leaving. <laughs> so, so San Francisco <laughs> is on the top of this list of places where if you call somebody, they're most likely to, to accept a call about a job. So yeah. anyhow, it's an interest. It's an interesting benchmarking kind of publication that shows you the power of predictive technology based on large, large data models. And I think, you know, this is a, a thing we're seeing more and more that, that vendors who sort of do things, from, a, from an individual sales level, right? Uh, you know, so, so WorkLogic sort of gives insight into an organization's sort of workforce and whether or not they will stay or leave, correct? That's, that's a big part of what they offer to as a service providing. Uh, they're sort yep. of flipping that and saying at an aggregate level, here's some insights about regions and industries and states. And, and that's powerful because you know, it is the data that's, that's making it possible for them to get to the individual level. But at the enterprise level, just knowing that San Francisco is a difficult place, that you are much more likely to have your employees poached from that environment, does it make it a little bit more interesting maybe to find some talent in Oklahoma where it might not be quite as likely, right? Yes, yes, that's exactly right. So the other thing about this report that I find really interesting is out of 10 pages, there's an entire page uh, devoted to ethics. Um, and... Uh, that's that's pretty awesome. Given nine pages of data and one page of discussion of ethics, uh, that's that's a pretty hefty ratio. And um, I hope it's a I hope it indicates that we're going to see more of it. Well, and and may, we won't have time to talk about it today, but that actually leads into maybe a conversation we can start off with maybe next week which is Google relaunching, I'm not exactly sure, it's probably worth you taking a look at it to see if it's something that's, that's worth some conversation, but Google researchers released an audit framework this week to close AI accountability gap. And the audit framework is about assessing your AI efforts and whether or not they are ethical, ready to be launched, have any concerns you should think about, could have any challenges or bugs. So to your point, we often don't get a lot of conversation about whether or not what's being released has been audited or tested or reviewed, right? Right. Right. Um, we'll talk about that next week. It's perfect. Yep. So great conversation. We crammed a lot in today. <laughs> we did, yeah. But it was a great conversation. We had a lot of it, – it, Every once in a while, John, it's nice for me to actually to uh, um, to agree on some things and and be on the opposite side on other things. It gives a gives the audience a chance to maybe root for one or the other. So. <laughs> yeah, or or to think for themselves. Imagine that. Um, there you go. <laughs> um, that's that's the best part about a, a good disagreement in this sort of context is is it creates the opportunity for people to think. 
So definitely. Thanks for doing this, Daisy, as usual. And thanks, everybody, for listening in. This has been HR Tech Weekly, One Step Closer with Stacey Harris and John Sumter. And we will see you back here next week. Bye-bye now. Thanks, everyone. Bye.